Hey Blockheads, this is DM Mitch. And this is DM Neil. We want to take a moment to thank all of you who support this and all other Block Party Podcast Network shows through Patreon. Yes, thank you so much for your support. We also wanted to take a second to tell you about our next stretch goal. That's right. When we reach $400 of monthly support, we will begin a new podcast called The DM Book Club. The DM Book Club will be a monthly released podcast where we have an in-depth discussion on official and unofficial RPG materials, and even some novels. The DM Book Club will have guests just like the Dungeon Masters block. Every book that we look at, we will discuss from the viewpoint of, you guessed it, the DM. Books will be voted on by Patreon members. So if you want to see this goal become a reality, you can help by heading over to www.patreon.com slash network. Again, thanks for listening and supporting us. And now enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we have two members of the Block Party Podcast Network. We have Matt and Josh from Detentions and Dragons joining us for, yes, a creation and inspiration two-part episode. So this part, we will be talking about architecture in the real world and how it can inspire you for your homebrew worlds. And then, of course, that means next episode, Neil, you, me, Josh, and Matt will be sitting down and we will be giving our top fives. So you got to stay tuned for that. Yes, it was quite possibly too much fun. Now, the sad news, Neil, is that you will actually, even though you're hosting this episode, not be a part of the first part discussion because you were not able to make it. You had some work stuff going oh, on. Oh, it's true. Super sad. But you will be there for part two. But you're here for us now, Neil. So can you start us off with a five-star review? Yes. So this first review is entitled Great Viewpoint, five stars by BM Calpine. Great podcast. I have only listened to a few podcasts, but I am just getting back into role-playing games after a 25-year absence. Well, first off, welcome back. I look forward to potentially expanding back into a GM role, and this show is giving me some great ideas. So, yes, (laughs) you will probably get frustrated if you haven't already at the number of ideas (laughs) we have given to you, but hopefully you are already using some. So thank you, BM Calpine. And hopefully that's a good frustration. Our yes. next one comes from Natoror, and it is entitled The Dungeon Master's Block Miracle. Five stars. Listen, children, and listen well. Oh, man, this is a good one. For the tale of the five-star review, you must hear. A night just like tonight, in a hundred episodes long ago, two GMs by the name of Chris and Mitch went searching for a place to broadcast their wisdom. They went to major podcast networks, but there was no room for them in the lineups. Not canon, but okay. <laughs> so they found a small <laughs> studio, our, our, my apartment, and gave birth to their beautiful baby podcast. Other GMs came bearing gifts of commentary, ideas, and advice. All the while, 
the shepherds of gymnastics were greeted by a host of heavenly fans. <laughs> Behold, a new podcast is born. Glory to podcasts in the highest caliber and good stories to human rogues and dwarves. Oh, man, this is amazing. And this <laughs> is why we celebrate their 100th episode with a five-star reviews because it's such a good podcast. It's almost biblical. <laughs> that is amazing. And that was written around Christmas time. We missed this review. So, yep. Natural sorry for missing this amazing review, but we get to read it now. All right. I don't know how we can live up to that, but we're going to try. <laughs> so for our third review, it is from Veranor, and they entitled it Essential and Inspiring. Thank you guys so much for existing. I just want to stop there. I feel like that'd be amazing if that was whole, the whole review. It's not that. <laughs> I listen to you at work, and it really keeps my mind buzzing with new possibilities while driving off the work night slog. I've been through each episode multiple times now and still find new inspiration each time. So thank you, Veranor, for thank listening so more than once. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, give us some notes because we forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Neil, you know what time it is. Head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. <laughs> For the meet this week, we are doing our creation and inspiration two-part series. We're super excited. I know all of you listeners love these episodes, especially when we do our top tens or top fives. And today I have two guests joining me, both from a show here on the Block Party Podcast Network, Joshua Rystead and Matthew Keel, hosts of Detentions and Dragons. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, of course. Josh, how are you feeling today? Feeling good. Thanks for having us on, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, this is not the first Block Party podcast show that you've been on. I mean, your show now, we're excited to say, is part of our network, but you also were on Geek Wars. So if you listen to this episode, listeners, and you're like, I can't get enough of Josh and Matt, go over and listen to Geek Wars as well. But yeah, I'm excited to finally get you on the Dungeon Masters block. Well, I mean, we totally destroyed Geek Wars, so it's time that we brought our <laughs> intellectual prowess. No to... spoilers, no spoilers. No. Well, let's just say it's an interesting experience. <laughs> it, it is an interesting experience. Uh, definitely a lot of fun, uh, interesting topics. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think Matt and I, we, we did, did pretty good there, Matt. Yeah, but... We're not here to talk about Geek Wars. We're here to talk about, what are we talking about? Dungeons and Dragons, right? That's correct. <laughs> hey, so can you, we start off by, can each of you kind of tell us, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves, whatever you want to tell them. Sure. Josh, go for it. Give it a start. Sounds like a plan. Well, uh, I am a fifth grade science and social studies teacher out in Minnesota. Big Star Trek nerd, huge D&D nerd, uh, run a lot of... D&D games throughout the community. I also work at a comic book shop on the weekends. So, I mean, plenty of out outlet there. Uh, but yeah, no, just a big old nerd all the way around. And I'm Matt Keel, and I'm also a high school teacher, uh, not a elementary or middle school teacher. 
and also been a fan of video games and RPGs for a good portion of my life. And then about a few years ago, I had a student come up to me and say, hey, can we have a Dungeons & Dragons club at school? And because I say basically no to no one, uh, especially kids (laughs) at school, I'm like, sure. And I didn't really know how to play. And then I realized, oh, they didn't know how to play or DM. So I listened to a bunch of podcasts, uh, started DMing. And then with Josh, we were just talking one day because we were playing in our own game uh, then at that point. And we were like, hey, I'm, oh, I said, I think I said something to the effect of, do you want to start a podcast? And he's like, yes, I want to do this podcast, Detentions of Dragons, which is all about introducing Dungeons and Dragons at school. And I'm like, well, let's do it. So we did that about a year ago, and we've been doing it since. Almost near our 50th episode. Fantastic. Yeah. And so you guys are both two teachers doing this podcast, Detentions and Dragons. You're relaying stories and information and ideas and inspiration about running D&D in a school setting. Although your podcast, I think a lot of your listeners would also say is just good for DMs all around and D&D players all around, whether they're in that school setting or not. Uh, so currently, as we're recording, it's it's August, it's summertime. So what, during the summertime, you guys just don't make podcasts because you're you're not in school? What What have you been up to lately with the podcast? Well, we did take a little bit of kind of a deviation from our standard type of uh, episode release. We're still releasing essentially weekly, but during the school year, we tend to focus on episodes that are focused for, like, are they're especially helpful for teachers who are trying to run D&D in school. We also do things that are more accessible to just general DMs, like general DM tips, explaining how to do these or implement certain rules within your game, homebrew ideas, those types of things like that. So over the summer, we just had some fun episodes where we talked about some homebrewed items. We talked about running a D&D summer camp. We had a couple people on for different interviews. We had Kurt Bolin from Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters. So we talked to him about running D&D with kids. Uh, we talked to Wolfgang Bauer from Kobold Press about what he's doing there. So yeah, we've just kind of been doing some episodes that are themed with Dungeons and Dragons. But in August, we're going to basically start our back to school blitz. So we're going to go leaning heavy into preparing for clubs and classroom experiences. Though I think other DMs can like pull some valuable information from that as well, too. Indeed. Yeah, you guys have definitely kept busy, even while school has been on hiatus, which is fantastic. Yeah, listeners, if you haven't checked out Detentions and Dragons, whether you're a teacher or a student or you're none of those things, I just want to say... There's a reason we brought them and asked them to come into our network. It's because we think they're fantastic. So go check these guys out. Go listen to their show. Uh, You can get all sorts of inspiration from them. Before we wrap up our interview segment, I want to ask you guys a surprise question from one of our Patreon dragons. Uh, This one comes from Galakin, a silver dragon, and he asks, have you ever pilfered systems or ideas from other games and use them in D&D to enhance your campaign? If so, what was it? And you guys can take as much time that you want to think about it, think about it, or yeah, just answer right away. Yeah, we, we actually have a 
we actually have, I think it's episode four, is that right, Matt? Uh, Stealing and Dragons, where we talk about (laughs) pilfering, borrowing ideas, mechanics, system, system, NPC ideas from other, other places, other modules, groups, you know, sometimes even other podcasts. Oh, no. Yeah, no, uh, I do quite a bit. Like even with my summer, my summer campaign and my school campaign, we have a, a school shop and even the, just the name Gnome Depot and the mechanic behind yes. how kids can buy stuff. That came from another podcast. I can't totally take credit for Hold it. Hold on. But you it, took it, Gnome Depot from a different podcast? <laughs> Josh, you have yeah. been... You have oh, been... Oh, no. Matt's world is... Oh, my gosh. Worldview is crushed right now. <laughs> You have always acted so proud of Gnome Depot. I thought that was a joke you made up. <laughs> no, I'm done. No, no, no. Get me I off told, this podcast. I told you I'm about done. This. I told closing the microphone. No, look, Am- unplugging. Oh, Amber- Matt just signed off. <laughs> look, Abercrombie Am- and Witch was my Ooh. my creation. Okay, you redeemed like yourself. <laughs> so there we go. So I think that so for inspiration definitely taking ideas from many different sources lots of different podcasts i know that i've taken ideas from sneak attack and the adventure zone because those have some like really good like character scenarios in terms of game mechanics i probably stole some things from maybe like 3.5 or pathfinder because sometimes when you play fifth edition it's so streamlined and it's so good but sometimes you're your players want something just a little bit more detailed. So if you want some of those rules that kind of expand on, well, how would you have like psionics? Like, I don't think psionics is a big part of fifth edition yet, but I know that other editions have more ruling on how psionics works. So like, like I would let a student add in some psionics to his character and we kind of had to like manipulate it and homebrew it uh, to fit in the fifth edition type of framework. Yeah, and I think 5th edition is so streamlined, which I think is a wonderful thing in almost Mm -hmm. every uh, aspect. But sometimes you as a DM run into a scenario where like, ooh, how there aren't rules on this. Uh, How would I run this situation? And if you're familiar with, like you said, Matt, like Pathfinder or 3.5 or whatever edition or other game rules... Being able to go, you know what, let me, whether you take it completely or take it partially and go, I'm going to use this a little bit. I'm going to use this to fit into this situation right now that I'm that I'm currently facing. Yeah, totally agree. So thank you so much, Galakin, for that question. And thank you, Matt and Josh, for uh, those answers. Let's jump into part one of this creation inspiration episodes. We're going to be talking about architecture, real world architecture, uh, and how it can inspire us to bring the cities, the towns, the architecture, the statues, monuments, all of that to life when we are DMing games in our own homebrew worlds. So to begin with, uh, how is it that real world architecture can inspire you developing your homebrew worlds and cities. Has this been something that uh, has seeped into your guys' DMing styles? Is this something that gets into the way that you describe and you pull from inspiration from real-world architecture into your own homebrew worlds? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I'm a I'm a very visual person. Love, I have like 
a file on my computer just with pictures that I pull. Some of them like just uh, fantasy art based. Some of them actual real life, you know, photographs of pictures of places. And I, I use that quite often just to even get inspiration for how do I describe this graveyard or how do I describe this uh, palatial palace on the side of a mountain, you know. And, you know, I, I find that pulling from photos just you're able to describe it a bit more you know to to the players and I, I try to whenever I DM I try to use like a rule of three where I at least have to describe three senses so beyond just what you see you know it could be what you see what you hear what you smell or taste or is it a a dockside you know can you taste the salt and smell the the rotting seaweed you know things like that I, I find um Yo, that is a big help when I'm designing worlds. Dear Mitch, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not that clever of a person. And who <laughs> who am I to like say that my ideas are better than the collective vision of thousands and thousands of years of human civilization? So for me to reinvent a civilization is not only going to be probably kind of difficult, but also maybe a little underwhelming when there is so many rich cultural sites that you can uh, take inspiration from, so many pieces of architecture that can just, you know, capture exactly what you were thinking even before you realized what you wanted. So, yeah, real-world architecture, whether it is from modern to ancient, totally serves as it influenced in my campaigns. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, the, I mean, we have so much inspiration from thousands of years, like you said, but also like worldwide, all the different cultures. You can go to one culture, one area of the world and look through their history of architecture and have your mind just overflowing with different ideas, but then you can go to another area of the world and get even more so and more so. And it really is almost an endless well that you can just dive into and pull inspiration from all these different cultures throughout time and the way that they created uh, buildings and looking at the materials they used and realizing that a lot of the times it comes down to materials that were available to them. And that's why their certain architecture looks the way that it does. Also realizing that their architecture is based off of the environments they're in, the weather. Uh, they needed to create certain things to protect them from the elements. And all of these things, the more that you can dive into just looking at the architecture and researching different types of architecture, you're, you're learning more, you're being inspired more in your own real world to go, Oh man, like, so I've set up this culture, this people in this land. What does their architecture look like? Where can I draw from in the real world? Look at that and be like, yeah, it would look somewhat like this. I can change it around a little bit, man. This is a fantastic picture of what I want to paint for my players of what the buildings, the structures that these people live in. And 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 I believe you mentioned it, Mitch, not only that, but also what systems do they have in place? What's their transportation like? What's their what are their market squares like? What resources might they have available? 
one of my favorite places to draw from uh, is uh, Amsterdam uh, with the canals and the boatways and the bridges and the houses that are built so close to each other. Uh, like you have to build large windows and put a support beam out front so that when you do move large furniture, you you hoist it up through the window because the stairs are so small. You know, just that little mechanic, you know, of what what the interior of the house must be like, you know, just because of the environment around, you know, it affects the affects the architecture. It paints a, a richer picture for your players. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like it's what what is going on in the culture around this wherever it is this land is going to affect it not just like you not like just weather but you look at roman architecture and you look at these huge coliseums what does that say about the culture that was around back then and the way that they viewed violence and games and sporting events it was very prominent and important to them which is why you have these massive structures to hold massive amounts of people. If you go to a land where uh, there would be no real interest in, in games and sports, where you had a peaceful society that wouldn't have engaged in uh, gladiator fights and such, there would be no such coliseums. Uh, at least they wouldn't be used for those purposes. You'd probably have like amphitheaters and... Mm-hmm. Uh, something to hold these classes or, uh, or or debates or something like that. Maybe that could even get worked into the law system that we we don't fight. We we argue to the death. <laughs> argue to the death. That sounds scary. <laughs> I've been in a couple of those debates. At least it <laughs> felt that way. So what are when when we talk about different real world architectures and different cultures uh, surrounding that. What are some of your favorites that uh, you've looked at and it's like, man, this really gets my inspirational juices just flowing. Matt, you want to take this first? Yeah, sure. I could start off with one. Now, I've been to at least two different countries in my life. That's right. The United States and <laughs> Japan. I was a teacher in Japan for a couple of years. I've been to some other countries as well, too. But one of the places that was so inspiring for me was a place in Kyoto. It's called Kiyo Mizadera. And Kiyo Mizadera is essentially a, it's a huge temple. And everything about the whole experience is just really fantastic from the part where you're sort of at the base of this hill and you have to walk up this like long winding street and it's like it's up a hill and it's probably a good I might be misremembering this about almost like a mile and you're just walking up this winding road and all along the way there are all these different like little shops and vendors and you know in the modern day they're kind of like more like gift shops and shops that are selling like foods and snacks like that but it just feels so atmospheric like you're going through this just narrow small town and you're making your way up to this arguably one of the most fantastic temples that you'll see in Japan or possibly the world. Uh, It is a temple that is completely made of wood. It's built into the side of the hill. There is this like huge veranda, which is it's like a huge porch type thing that 
is hundreds of feet long and it like you can view the city of Kyoto from this and like the temple is surrounded by trees and one of the really cool things about this is there's just like so much to take away from either the kind of reference of the whole thing to this like special fountain that they have and there's like these three spouts and there's like a uh, lore behind it where if you drink water from one of these different streams that's coming out of this fountain it will grant your wish but like one is like a wish for wealth a wish for health or a wish for love so it's like you have to choose which one you drink from but you can drink from all three of them so the whole experience and seeing this just can provide so much atmosphere for like one of my D campaigns japanese architecture I find so gorgeous when it's centered around nature uh, that's around it. Like you have, like you're talking about a temple and I, I, I'm just imagining in my head that, that beautiful temple building with those curved roofs and a bridge leading across a pond filled with just beautiful thousands of them goldfish. Um, It's, when it centers itself around the nature and the way that they build these structures, um, it's it's amazing and it's beautiful and it says a lot about uh, the culture that's building these structures. Yeah, totally. So if you're looking for some inspiration for like just a really cool looking temple, Kiyomizadera, uh, located in Kyoto, you'll it's probably like one of the best temples you'll ever see. Very cool. No, um, I guess mine, I pull a lot. When I was back in college, I took a trip over to Europe. Uh, we hit the Netherlands and Amsterdam, or Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, then we went through we went through Belgium, and then we ended up in Paris. And just the, the architecture there, I use for a lot of my city planning, my cityscapes. Like, and especially in Amsterdam, like you have the canals, people still travel by boat, move stuff through, you know, cause the roads are extremely narrow. Um, a lot of it's cobblestone and brickwork and the water table there is really low. So you've got, the trees are green in the summertime cause you have moss and stuff growing. Um, and everything is just got the slight damp to it. Um, the buildings just are just gorgeous they're closely packed together they remind you of a of a medieval uh medieval town still to this day um but just the just even the flow of it the hustle and bustle you know even through it's a busy you know industrial city in a way it there's still spots to relax there are cafes that just like they open up these glass walls and you just sit out and you can you can you know enjoy yourself in the afternoon and and between that and the the palace that they have there there are spots in the palace that you walk out into this this huge kind of throne room and you have this stone and metal inlaid globe map you know in the ground just inlaid and you walk on it and it's it's gorgeous it uh, you look up into the dome ceiling and there's this painted constellation kind of Fresno, I think is what it's called. And you just, it's awe inspiring. And whenever I design like a palace, I just, I pull directly from that. Just a lot of windows, a lot of glass, light comes in. It's just great. 
I think one thing that you guys are pointing out that's such a real important part to being inspired by different types of architecture is you've both pointed out places that you've gone and you've seen these places. And I mean, travel's expensive. Not everybody has the luxury of being able to travel the world all the time. But when you can go to different places with different cultures and architectures and actually see this firsthand, I think it's just, it's so amazing to be able to gain inspiration from and, and to learn from. I mean, this is something that you hear like game designers do all the time is if they want to really uh, work hard to make the style of the environments in their games real to them. I mean, Skyrim, the creators of Skyrim went uh, to the places that they were basing Skyrim off of to gain that inspiration. And I think it's, it's incredibly powerful to see it firsthand. I know when I was able to take a trip in the summer of one of my college years to uh, Jordan and Israel, seeing Petra up close was one of the most amazing sights. And to be able to take those structures built into uh, these stone walls, you bring that into your gaming, you bring that into your DMing, and you can really try to now, since you've seen it, paint that picture to your players of these structures based off of these cultures you've seen and bring that into your game. Put that into real uh, homebrew world cultures. Yeah. Does anybody else do this where you go to a place, even if it's a modern area, and you see something unique or you see a structure or a house or or a building and you design a character that might be living there or standing there or you know, interact with that place. I mean, cause I, I, that's something I do and maybe it just might be my overactive imagination and things like that. But the wife and I recently took a trip out to Grand Marais on the, the North shore of Lake Superior here and a lot of forest area, a lot of, uh, I mean, it's, it's right on the lake. So you kind of got that freshwater sea feeling, but there's a lot of little cabins and, and nooks. And as we were driving along and uh, kind of walking some of the trails, I was like, I wonder that that's a really good that's a really good kind of mountain dwarf like ranger outpost or or I could see you know, a party of elves kind of you know it 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 kind of I kind of draw as you said you you go there you draw from the from the environment and you kind of feel it a little bit more and from that you can kind of give that feeling to your player characters when you describe it so but is it just me Anybody else do that in their spare time? Oh yeah, totally, Josh. All the time. <laughs> I'm. I just went to Target and I was like, "What type of? Yep, you know what? It's going to be a warlock." They pledged to their patron, which was just that Target dog, and now they get the ability to give ten percent discount off. Ten percent. Yep. They don't give fifty percent discounts at Target. What are you talking about? Listen, if you're pledging to a <laughs> warlock, you're getting fifteen, man. I mean. That's just bad negotiating I pledged myself there. to Target for one year making tiny pizzas. You worked in the food yeah, court. Yeah, in the food court. And what did I get? I got 10% off, and sometimes I ate a tiny pizza that I had to pay for <laughs> be- with 10% off. Well, you should have been a warlock. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. I think that um, I often say that 
before I even knew what Dungeons and Dragons was, in a way, I was even from a young age playing Dungeons and Dragons. Because when it comes down to it, D&D is is a game of pretend, it's a game of imagination, and when I was running around my backyard with my brothers and we were playing games we made up like Monster Slayer where like one of us was the the monster that had to be defeated, I look back and I go, I didn't know what Dungeons and Dragons was then, but I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was doing this. And so I get what you're saying because to this day with the mindset that I have that like I'm always like I think about Dungeons and Dragons too much, probably like you can go to these places and I don't know if I have had a moment where it was so well thought out like you, but I definitely because it sounds like you have a structure to it. I'm not a very structured person sometimes, but I, I can I can remember being in um being in Petra. I heard our guide say one word about the djinn and how uh, they worship jinn and I was like immediately I'm just imagining like jinn yep. and different like all that magical D&D stuff that I've learned and just it became this overflow of fantasy lore inspiration in that moment and then he continued talking and it had nothing to do with jinn and I don't remember what he talked about after that because my mind was already gone you you kind of became the uh, the story time Bob Ross, you know, like oh the you know beautiful <laughs> yes. structure, and we're gonna put we're gonna put a little little gin here. Here's a here's a floor trap. Here's a spike trap. You know, ooh, that'd be a really good place for something to pop out and go boo. You know, if yeah. it maybe a maybe perception check. Yeah, no, I, I I know that feeling. I think even if you can't travel to these places, though, I think being able to use this the tool of the internet to look at all the tons and tons of images out there you can literally spend hours searching different types of architecture throughout the world whether it's egyptian sumerian uh, early irish uh, you could go on and on i mean byzantine architecture is beautiful these dome shaped roofs with these huge spires of towers some of them with these beautiful uh, wrapping around uh, staircases on the outside you really only need to do a simple google search to be able to see just tons and tons of beautiful buildings and start to pull ideas on the type of architecture that you could fill your homebrew world with completely agree so i will elaborate on that a little bit um i was trying to think of some excuse me, i was trying to think of some ideas for this episode and i asked my girlfriend whoop 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 like what are some inspirational places <laughs> that you've been to and she's like oh you should look up uh chichen itza which is uh in mexico and like this place if you need inspiration for a D&D campaign, like this is it. There are so many structures in this Maya city. It's amazing. Like you have this big step pyramid called El Castillo, which was clearly named by some European explorers that came afterwards. But like within El Castillo, you have this temple that is dedicated to a serpent god and there are carved railings that have serpents with feathers on them. You have one temple that's just called Temple of Skulls because it's essentially like a low platform 
And, like, in the platform, there are these gruesome pictures of carved skulls. There's a picture of an eagle eating a human heart. And apparently, uh, people (laughs) at that time, uh, they were, like, the explorers at that time, they were able to record some records. And there were sacrificial victims that their heads were displayed on this platform in this location. And... I mean, they have all of these just super, super inspiring things. I was learning about this type of game that they played. I don't know all the rules, but I do know one thing, which was that the team that lost their leader would be executed, and then his skull would be used as the core for the next ball that they would play with, which is like, I've never been there, but from... 30 minutes of just a Google search, I could write a year-long campaign just with the types of things <laughs> that like I learned about. Can you imagine that locker room conversation? Okay, guys, <laughs> who who wants to be the next team captain? Any takers? Any takers? <laughs> Come Tom, on. Tom, how guys. about you? Paul, I see you shrink it back there. You're you're hiding behind the locker. You're up next <laughs> on the roster. Yeah, and you know, man, I, I looked as you were talking, I looked this place up and yeah, it's you can just look at these images and you gain so much inspiration. And I think one of the things that I think is really cool about checking out different places, different beautiful works of architecture around the world is going, OK, I've got I've got this inspiration staring me down now. How do I take this and how do I make this something that's my own in my homebrew world? And I think you can kind of you can do a number of things. You can mix and match. You can take two different types of architecture and you can kind of work them together into something that's uh, your own in your homebrew world. You can go back to stuff that we mentioned before about like what are the materials that are available? I mean, what if you take this temple in Mexico uh, and you have these images, you say, but what if they used a different material to make it same architecture style, but it has a different coloring. It has a different texture because the stone that this area has is different. You can just take all different things like that and add them in to give them a different type of look. You talked about the statues and the paintings on the wall. What is the culture that lives in this architecture going to make statues and monuments and paintings of uh, in these buildings it gives it a whole different feel while still pulling on real world architecture and i think as storytellers because dungeons and dragons is a game of collaborative storytelling one thing that we often promote to like our students and to other people is all right the more you read the bigger your vocabulary is going to be. And I also feel that like when you look at architecture and you study these different places, you're essentially increasing your architecture vocabulary so that you can take those different elements and you can kind of assemble them into your own homebrewed world. And not only that, being that Matt and I are teachers and granted we're teaching on um, you know science and for myself, social studies, you know, oftentimes we are working with kids to look at critical thinking, making inferences. And if all of a sudden you created a world that was similar to maybe a culture that had been talked about or studied, um, but you changed things up quite a bit, you know, all of a sudden you got kids like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. I know something. I, I think this is 
kind of something that maybe Mrs. Johnson had talked about when we talked about the Incas or the the Spartans of of ancient Greece. You know, making those connections and those inferences is not only enlightening, but also empowering to not only students, but players. And everything we're talking about, none of this is new, right? Like, this is what, like, especially if we're talking in the sense of, like, fantasy authors and world creators, like, this is something that's done all the time. I mean, look at, like, Magic the Gathering, and look at a, a plane like Theros, and the clear real world architecture and lore that's pulled in to create that setting. Look at Ravnica, uh, and it's clearly drawing on like those castles and stuff, gothic architecture. It's something that is done all the time in fantasy world creating. And so if this is something that you maybe haven't done a lot of, I, I think travel, internet, Go watch some documentaries uh, on architecture and different cultures in their architecture. Go read books like uh, Josh and Matt were saying. Like These are all different things that are going to help you really get a grasp, an idea of different types of buildings and monuments that can exist in your homebrew world to really make it feel like a world, a big world with different cultures. Yes. 100% agree. Indeed. So we've talked about a lot of the inspiration aspect of this and different types. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on and on about different types of architecture uh, and cultures in the world. But I think our time is better served saying, hey, go look up some lists. Go do your own research because we can't on this podcast. It's not a video visual media. So we're not going to be able to show you uh, the images. So it's better if you're able to go and check those out. But We are now talking about Dungeons and Dragons uh, and you're sitting at a table and you are telling stories uh, to your players uh, with your players. How do you take all this inspiration that we've just talked about and how do you paint that picture in your player's mind when you're trying to real you've got that image in your head because you've looked this all up. How what are some tricks and tips that you can use to bring this architecture of these cultures that you ha- have in your world to life to your players. One thing that I that I tend to do, and I mentioned it a little earlier, I try to do what I call the rule of three, where I'll take the five senses, and one one will always be sight, unless there's some condition preventing that. But generally, when they enter a place or they enter a town or uh, a new setting. I will take a moment and just be like, okay, here's what you experience. And I'll say, you know, I'll pick like sight, smell, taste, or sound. This is what it sounds like. Or maybe I'll, I'll extend beyond that and I'll tell them all five senses. But um, I usually try to do, you know, three of them and try to paint this picture, including like, you know, you're in a marketplace. It is busy. The noise is almost deafening as you hear people call out, you know, yo, cabbages for sale. We've got wonderful cabbages freshly picked, you know, and, and, you know, I'll throw in a few voices here and there, but like also the smells, you walk past a, a market stall and like the smell of these, whatever spices are burning your nose. And, you know, the, the ground is made out of cobblestone. You try to put as much detail that the player can imagine experiencing in there. And I think that 
you know, it, it's one thing to do that versus say, you enter a market town, there are shops, there's a fountain, it's market day. You know, it, it, it pulls the player deeper into that narrative and allows them to experience it. And when they experience it, I've often found they're, they're more invested in the story and they will get into character and they will, they'll play a different way than versus just, you know, you're in a market. Matt, any, any, any insight there? Yeah, I have a few tips. So these are so these are some of the things that I think, and I think Josh uh, using that rule of three is a really, really great idea. Uh, my first tip I would say is don't reveal too much information. You've sat down, you've researched, you're using your own travels as inspiration, and there's this this drive to be like, all right, I'm going to give you all of the information about every piece of architecture <laughs> right at the beginning. And what you've done is you've just essentially done like this text dump of all of the details. But when you think about how you learned about something or explored something, you explored it in details. You first walked up that trail and you smelled the different, you know, uh, breads that were cooking and you felt the rain falling on your face and then you get to the top and then more details are revealed. So number one, don't overload with too many details because you want to, but don't. Second, reveal details to the surrounding as it becomes relevant. Mm. So it's this idea of exploration, which I think is very, very important. And then third, what I would also point out is that Sometimes you can convey things about a place without necessarily stating that direct thing. So if you're saying oh, yeah. like, oh, this place is – it's really hot outside, you could talk about how the plaster walls are cracking um, from the heat. Or you could talk about the the city is surrounded with uh, – people sweating in the shadows of canopies or something. So instead of saying, oh yeah, it was really hot outside, you can describe in detail about the surrounding with the people or the things that interact within that surrounding. I think that's fantastic advice. Like rather than just a huge information dump, when you're on the bridge, when you're crossing the bridge, describe the bridge. When you're at the temple, describe the temple. When you're Doing a rooftop chase, have a little bit of detail thrown in about the type of rooftop that you're on. Like when it comes and it is prevalent to what's happening, that's when you can give details and start to really paint that picture of the architecture that you are focusing on at the time. When your PC decides to knock down the pillar of the temple, you can describe that pillar. <laughs> like yeah. if it's wooden, maybe it's super, maybe it's kind of easy. If it's marble, maybe a little bit harder. <laughs> totally, totally. And again, that just really emphasizes the way that really good stories play out is these details that are revealed over time. And I think there are different aspects of the architecture that your players are going to naturally ask more details about. Oh, totally. Almost every time I bring up that there's a statue in the room, my players want to know what the statue looks like. Yeah. Honestly, it's mostly because they're hoping there's gems in the eyes <laughs> or they're worried that that statue might come to life and fight them, but they always want to know details. 
Um, they always want to know what, like, who is this statue of? Is there an engraved, like, name on it? Like, is there information? Is there information plaque? What does it look like? Is it holding a weapon? They start to really start to ask questions, especially when, like, either one, they think that it's important, or you just make some sort of statement about that leads them to believe this is an important piece that we're looking at. Yeah, and it's cool when players can discover those things on their like on their own, even if you are the person elaborating those details of those discoveries. And sometimes with, with the description, this can lead to other story hooks or other story plots or just even funny NPC interactions that players will like and enjoy. I think also it's important here to just mention visually, go ahead, like use visual aspects pull out those pictures if you're like yeah i want my i want my building to look just like this real world architecture then show then show everybody a picture get their mm-hmm. get their mind yeah, understanding totally. what type of architecture that they're looking at if if you have the ability to like it's fantastic if you're using like maps and minis and stuff you can go on like amazon and find like cardboard models of different types of buildings if you want to spend a little extra money to drop like a uh gothic cardboard church down on your map to really like get it in your player's mind this is the building you're working around do it like there are little things that you can do to really just say hey i don't even need to describe this because i can just show you and get your mind going with what the architecture is that you are surrounded by. Agreed. One of one of the things that I've been doing with uh, a game that I've run at the Gamers Den here is uh, we have a Facebook group, and I will post photos of pictures that inspire me to kind of help players imagine this along with me. And that also allows for a bit of a running commentary, even during the time that we're not playing. Yeah. So technology is... is helpful in this case yeah and speaking of that and i think this might be more for very specific people with certain talents but if you have the talent of art and you're able to paint or draw like if you're able to like draw a picture of this building that you find important to your campaign do it and show your players that's fantastic if you have Photoshop skills and you're like, I want to take a pyramid from Egypt, but I want it to be made out of blue marble, Photoshop that sucker. Like you can you can use skills that you have to make visual guides to show this is what this this is what you're looking at right now. A hundred percent agree. Well, that concludes our discussion on different types of architectures and pulling inspiration in uh, from the real world to your homebrew worlds. I want to thank both Josh and Matt uh, for joining me and talking about this. Matt, Josh, if our listeners want to check out your podcast, if they want to get in touch with um, either of you and ask you questions about your favorite type of architectures or uh, just D&D or anything, teaching, whatever, where can they find slash reach you guys at? All righty. Well, uh, they can send us a message at detentionsanddragons at gmail.com. Uh, they can certainly send us a message through our Facebook page. Just search Detentions and Dragons. Um, my Twitter handle is Professor Olaf. They can certainly contact me on Twitter. And Matt, yours is? 
at Matt M. Keel, K-U-E-H-L. There we go. So yeah, feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from them. And just to reiterate, Detention of the Dragon sounds like a teachers-only podcast. It isn't. There's something for everybody. So if you're a little hesitant about getting into a teacher-centric podcast, I would say go listen to our episode, New Listeners and Dragons. It's a 12-minute episode that highlights what we think are the best episodes for different types of listeners. Give that a listen. Then go listen to some of our other podcasts. You'll like it. Indeed. And if you're like me and you listen to the show and you enjoy it, I always say this on the Dungeon Masters block for our show, but if you like their show, do these guys a favor, go on iTunes, take five seconds of your time and give them a five-star review um, telling them how much you like it. It will help them to have a better, uh, to get more listeners because they will be more viewed on iTunes Definitely do that if you enjoy what you hear. Yeah, help us with that algorithm. It's all about those stars. <laughs> Please. Please. So tune in next time uh, to hear Josh and Matt return for part two of our creation inspiration episode where we are going to bring with Neil Powell. Yes, Neil Powell will be joining us for that part two. Each of us will bring a top five adventure hook story ideas to the table. It's going to be the first time that each of us is hearing each other's and it's going to be a fantastic time. Let's see if we have with four people, any crossover or it's going to be great. We're going to riff on each other's ideas. Make sure to join in for that. It's going to be super. It'll be awesome. All right. We just want to thank Josh and Matt again for coming on to the episode and of course, we want to send a huge thanks for joining the network. I mean, you came onto the episode, but you also came onto the network. You still have that new network smell. I don't know what that mm. is, and hopefully <laughs> you can wash it off. But I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> All right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always head on over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you liked this episode and any of the others that we have and you see fit, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can get in front of more people. And of course, read your review out loud. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go if you want updates about the show. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Christopher Colden! Thank you so much, Christopher. Christopher yes, Colden, thank you. Get, get ready for this, Neil. Are you ready? Is I a am. golden dragon. So, ah. uh, perfect. I wonder, did he go, I have to because my name, it would rhyme and it would just be a great shout-out. So... Christopher, yep. thank you so much for your support. We hope that you are enjoying uh, all the rewards that are being given to you on our Patreon, and thank you for supporting our show. Definitely. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, Dungeons and & Dragons and & Daughters, and of course, like the guest today, Detentions & Dragons, and so many more. And that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the people at the table. 
I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And keep on dungeon mastering. What happened? Welcome back. You back? Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Did you? You dropped out for me. And you dropped out for me? Well, that's it. Oh, no, that's your part. Oh, and with that, we're going to, nope, head out of the gym. (laughs) We're, what do we say? What do we normally say? Goodbye.